Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Oh, well, let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord this morning. Come set your own and rain in our hearts again. In
amen, is to build your kingdom here, Lord Jesus, that we as your church would come together and we would seek him first and he would in turn work in us and he would um, continue to work in us and use us, right? I like the, this says awake the ki- kingdom seed in us, that we would, um, we would be revived, I think, in our spirit, that we, he would awake that seed in us, that we would have that desire to make Christ known wherever we are and, when, and whatever we're doing, that we as a church would um, share that hope and the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to continue um, by reading from the word of the Lord this morning, and it is found in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4. So let's read this together this morning. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Oh, Lord Jesus, um, that is our desire, Father God, that, um, that, Lord, that you would unite us um, as one body, Lord. And, um, and, Father God, that we would just recognize, Lord Jesus, that you are that you are Savior and you're a Lord and um, and you are Father, Lord, and we are united because of you. We are united in Christ, Lord Jesus. And so, Father God, we just pray that we can continue to live out um, the call that you have given us in a worthy manner, Lord, that we would be humble and we would be patient and we would be bearing love to one another, Lord Jesus, especially through this time when um, so much differences of opinions, so much differences of, um, of how we do things in this world and, um, and our daily lives and, and even within the church, Lord Jesus. And we just pray that you would continue to be that one that would bind us and that we would Um, Come together, Lord, so that you may be glorified, that you may be honored, and you may be praised. And so, Father God, we come this morning as one church, as one body, and we come here to worship you, Lord, to hear your voice. I pray, Lord, that your voice would be um, the only voice that we would hear this morning, and that we could just... um, leave out the noise that seems to surround or bombard us. And Father God, that we would just draw our eyes and our hearts back upon you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, again, that you would just unite us this morning as a church and that you would uh, surround us, Lord, um, with your presence and your peace. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, so he said he wouldn't come up here unless I introduce him. So here is Pastor Bob with the announcements. I told her I didn't want to go where I wasn't wanted. That's what I told her. So she invited me up here, then I know. So, oh, anyhow. Hey, uh, just a few things to share with you um, that been happening, what's going on. First of all, you look over here to this side of the auditorium, you see all these shoe boxes. These, 289 of these were packed in the last two days by a group of volunteers that came in here and put everything together with that. And there's, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, <laughs> Like what I used to do with my kids, you know, what are you going after on the floor? I want to get it. Um, 289 of these were packed in the last couple of days. There are a total of 352 boxes, plus a few that I saw come in this morning. So we're somewhere around 360 boxes over here that are going to be shipped out after the services next Sunday. So if you haven't done a shoebox yet and you'd like to do a shoebox, you can still do that. Uh, Karen Von Hoff is going to bring some extra boxes that she has at home and put them in the, in the foyer there. There's some extra items that were left over from what they packed. You can grab some of those. You can pack a shoe box. Um, be, if you're going to do that, be sure that you pick up one of the instruction uh, pamphlets out there about how to pack a shoe box because there's certain things that are not allowed to go in the shoe box. The last time that happened, one of the panels <laughs> fell down, so. <laughs> That's the one I sabotaged. Okay, where was I? Shoe boxes. So, though, you got until next Sunday to bring your shoe box here. We'll be praying over those next Sunday before they take them after the second service over to uh, Reading Christian Fellowship, which is the deployment center, and from there they go. So, there you are. Uh, that's there. Uh, also, in your announcements and things, uh, our annual celebration is coming up. We want you to save the date for December um, uh, 12th. Yeah, I get that right. December 12th at 6 p.m. Details to follow about how all that's going to be happening. But uh, we are, that's our time to celebrate what's been going on the last year. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's been a lot going on this year. It's going to be interesting to see what is shared. So if you have something with that and you uh, want to, uh, something that you want to share and whatnot, get it to Pastor Sean. Um, sooner the better so that he can uh, review that and talk with you about it and things he'd like to feature those things that God's been teaching and leading you through this last year. I hope I didn't steal your ministry highlight, but uh, that's what we were talking about doing. So there we go. Um, so get that to him and we'll give you more details. Membership class is coming up uh, next Sunday. It'll be following the second service. If you have never joined the church in formal membership, we invite you to do that. Pastor Sean and I will be leading that class. And, and so it'll be um, uh, somewhere here on campus after the second service. We have a couple of families that are doing that. And so we invite you to do so. Go to tacreading.info to sign up for that class. If you're having trouble doing that, just call the church office and leave us a message um, and we'll, we'll make that happen for you as well. And uh, I think that's it for the announcements and things that I want to highlight. Your bulletin has other announcements and things there as well. Uh, make sure you read those through as well. I want to give you one, what, who, somewhere, I heard something. No, 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 no. I, yes. Oh. Oh, yes. 
Yes, that's me. Yeah, no, thank you. That, yes, I was supposed to announce that. Thank you, Jeannie, you, you saved me. Um, yes, the, the shipping costs of that, we need, we need dollars for that. So if you can help out for that, yes, please, by all means. Uh, get, you can drop it in the box back there, market, uh, Operation Christmas Child shipping and things, whatever. But we, we do need some help with the shipping costs for that as well. So thank you, Jeannie. Appreciate it. Uh, last thing I want to share with you is an update on Jackie Meyer. Uh, many of you know a few weeks ago she uh, suffered a fall and, and broke her femur, basically a spiral fracture of her femur, basically from the hip to her knee. And uh, so she's been home recovering from that. Got an update from Dan this morning. Um, and, and just uh, wanted to thank us, first of all, for praying for her. She's recovering at home. She's doing, uh, she's doing well. She's getting there. Um, they say it takes about four to six months for her to totally heal. Uh, the pain will be subsiding as, we, as she gets into about four to six weeks. The pain will be pretty much um, uh, gone, and, and she'll be able to um, uh, rest more comfortably without medication and things. So we'll just continue prayer for that. One of the praises as well, one of the nurses that was taking care of her, taking care of her at home, uh, tested positive for COVID-19. So Jackie had an exposure, um, but so far no symptoms and everything looks good for her. So another couple of days and she'll be out of the woods with that. Um, so just keep praying for that. That's the last thing she would need to deal with at this point with everything else going on as well. So uh, that's really the only thing up on this point is just to keep praying for her recovery pain and for um, uh, her her uh, testing or not having any symptoms of COVID-19. Okay, I think that's all I have, and you have a ministry highlight. So why don't you come and share with us what that is? Is that my invitation? That's your invitation. Come on all up and right. join us. Thank you, Bob. Hi guys, how you doing? Just wanted to first of all say a special welcome to anyone who may be visiting this morning. So if this happens to be your first Sunday or maybe second Sunday, it's always fun to see new faces uh, and uh, hope that you will give us an opportunity to get to know you by sticking around after the service. Uh, it's been amazing to see how uh, over the summertime in the midst of COVID-19 and all that's going on with that, that the Lord continues to bring new families to come and hang out with us and to get to know us, and so it's been really fun. So if that's you, I just want to especially welcome you uh, to our service, and like I say, we would love to get to know you better, so if you can stick around after the service, it's a great time for uh, families to be able to share and, and chat and catch up and find out what's going on. So other than that, I also have one other thing I wanted to do, and that was just to take a moment to... Uh, probably too many moments, it's the way it is. This is the mini-sermon before the real sermon, so prepare. Um, I, I just felt like uh, after we had an elder meeting this week on Thursday evening, and after that meeting felt like uh, us as an elder group and also myself just felt like we needed to maybe just say something uh, to you all about why we're still meeting uh, and there's some question about that, and we get that it's kind of a weird situation we're in in this world right now. Uh, but as many of you know, Purple Tear in our county, because of the widespread uh, uh, number of cases we have in the county, and so Purple Tear means that churches can meet, but they have to meet outside, not inside. But as you can see, we are still meeting inside. And so I just wanted to give you a couple of thoughts on why we are continuing to meet inside. 
And uh, just so you guys kind of know where we're coming from on this and what we're trying to communicate, because there's so much out there right now, uh, a, a polarization over this issue of the pandemic, all obviously, of course, of you know, political stuff as well. And so we just want to be clear that, you know, why we're taking this stand and why we're choosing to not go according to what uh, the purple tier dictates. So there's basically two issues, and the first issue is a theological one. The question that comes for any who is a Christian, any church that is a church that is a Bible-believing church, the first question you always have to ask is, you know, as far as how we are going to behave as a church or what we're going to do, is what does the Bible tell us to do? And so with this particular issue, there are two key passages that seem to speak to what, what a church should do and what an individual Christian did, should do. The first one is in Romans 13. It talks about how uh, we, should be sub, uh, we should submit to all of the governing authorities in our lives. And so that is uh, one key passage. Another key passage is in Hebrews 10, where it seems that Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews is encouraging us to not forsake the gathering together of the believers. In other words, you know, that this is an important thing that we do on Sunday mornings. And uh, I do not want to get into the theology of those two passages. I don't have time for that. Then that would be like, you know, really big sermon versus really small sermon and then another sermon later, right? So anyway, so I don't want two big sermons. So, but my point only is to say this, that as we have uh, kind of been walking this journey, the reality is, is that there are strong Christian leaders, theologically Christian leaders on both sides of this issue that will look at Hebrews 10 and say that means that we should defy the government's order because they're violating what God has told us to do. And there are good, strong, Bible-believing Christians and Christian leaders and churches that also stand on the side of Romans 13. No, we're supposed to submit to the governing authorities. This is not a violation of Hebrews 10, and so we should stop meeting when the government tells us to stop meeting. And so because there are strong Christian perspectives on both sides, which we believe as an elder board has validity, I mean, there's, it's not like, you know, one side is totally corrupting scripture in order to come to their conclusions. We feel like this is really a gray issue. It's not a black and white, you should meet or you shouldn't meet kind of issue. It's a gray issue. And if it's a gray issue, that means that we feel least, at least as an elder board, that we need to allow for freedom of the individual in our church. And so what we mean by that is we mean that if you feel like you sh that like Romans 13 is a really big deal for you and you feel like you shouldn't be meeting, we want to encourage you to stay home. You have a responsibility, matter of fact, to listen to the Holy Spirit and what he's telling you how to respond to this pandemic, not to necessarily us uh, as elders or as you know the fact that we're meeting doesn't mean you have to be here. Second, we do feel like because it's a great issue that we should allow for people that feel like it's more maybe a Hebrews 10 issue or they don't feel like Romans 13 is a big a deal, that they could come and worship and be a part of what's going on on a Sunday morning. And so that is why we have continued to meet and have chosen to continue to meet in person, to allow each person to basically make that choice of where they feel like God is calling them. And I, and I also want to say that we actually have some elders who are not going to be attending our services in person while we're in Purple Tier. And that's because of their own personal conviction on this issue. And so, and that's okay. We, we should not look at the fact that some elders don't show up to service as meaning that they are against us meeting. 
they are saying corporately, we think this makes sense that we allow for the freedom for people to come or to stay home. Personally, they feel that God has convicted them. They need to stay home, and so they're going to. And this comes from Romans chapter 14. If you, don't have, if you have a gray area in, in, in Scripture and you're not sure how, how this is supposed to be laid out, then you go to John four, or excuse me, Romans 14. Two verses I just want to read really quickly because it speaks to this. And this is here Paul is dealing with uh, meat sacrifice to idols. Some Christians are, are, are battling over whether they should eat that meat or not. Uh, and then there's another issue about days of the week that they're worshiping. See, uh, traditionally, of course, the Jews worshiped on Saturday. That was the Sabbath. But then Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And so some were Christians were saying, we should worship on Sunday because that's the first day of the week. That's the resurrection Sunday, right? And so anyway, so there's this battle going on between, in the church and between Christians on what day to worship. And both of these issues are gray issues. They're not black and white. And so Paul is giving instructions to how do you deal with this gray, these gray issues? And he says these two verses, there's a lot of other stuff in chapter 14 I'd encourage you to read. Um, but these two verses are specific to our point today. Who are you, first of all, he says, to pass judgment on the servant of another. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, hey, we're all servants of God. We need to do what he tells us to do, not what someone else tells us to do, right? And so in a gray issue, the issue is what is God telling you? And then he goes on, he says, one person esteems one day as better than another. Well, another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And so the issue here is, again, what is your own personal conviction? What do you feel like God is speaking to you? How is he telling you to respond? And that is what you need to be obedient to and be fully convinced in your own mind what is right and follow through on that, even if the whole church is meeting in person. Or if the whole church is not meeting in person, you could take that stand as well and maybe find another church to worship in. So the point being, first of all, theologically, we are meeting because this is a gray area. And we don't feel like as an elder board, we can dictate to you guys one way or the other. Now, if we were in unison, if we all believed the same perspective here, if we all were uh, totally united on one side or the other, either Romans 13 or Hebrews 10, then our response would probably be different. But because on the elder board we have both sides of this uh, perspective, we feel like that's God's, uh, God's voice to us at this point to remain balanced in this and allow for both sides to, to be, be involved if they want or to stay home if they want. The second issue is in regards to just the, the how do you respond to a pandemic? And what is the appropriate way to respond? And I don't think it should take, a, hopefully it won't take a lot of convincing for me just to simply say the fact that how to respond and what are appropriate protocols is another gray area. It's, there's scientists on both sides that are saying there's different ways that we should be responding to this. You can see this across the United States even and across the world, the different nations, the different states, and how they are responding and their way to interact and what the protocols they have in place. So again, we see this as being a gray area where there's not a clear black and white. The science isn't a positive on either side for sure to say how we should respond. And so again, we as an elder board are seeking to take a middle ground here and say that, yes, we're going to meet in person, but we do think that the virus is something, and masks seem to help. And so we're going to ask, 
encourage our people, if they do show up in person, to wear a mask during the service. And so this is, again, the balanced kind of uh, gray area protocols and, and, and theology that we are trying to walk in. So we just, I just want to encourage you that uh, if you're here, I'm assuming you're here because you feel like this is, that the Lord has spoken to you and it's okay for you to be here. And if that's the case, then praise the Lord, we're glad you're here. But if you are not here, we also, we don't want you to feel like pressure, like you need to be here. If you're at home and enjoying worship online and have been for the last you know, eight months now, we're, that's okay. You need to follow what the Lord is speaking to you about. And if, you're, if you have a higher sensitivity to this virus, if you have those underlying uh, you know, issues, that, health issues that would cause you to be more susceptible to the virus, then boy, for sure, you need to stay home. And you need to, I mean, that just makes sense. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone should but it means that for you, you should, right? And, and so that is the thing, and that's the kind of the line that we're trying to walk in here. And I hope that this will allow us to be united as a church, even though we have different perspectives on this, even though we have different theological perspectives on this, and what, you know, which Romans 13 or Hebrews 10, which one's more important, right? Or which ones, you know, do we follow here, right? Even though we have different theologies, we can still worship together. Even though we have different perspectives on how to respond to the pandemic, we can still worship together in person or online or wherever it may be. I am hoping, and so far it feels like the Holy Spirit is binding our church together more and more throughout this time. And I hope that that continues even as we walk through this, these challenging times, as the virus spikes in our county and it makes it a little bit more tense and it, it, it's possible that we could see an outbreak even in our church and many people in our church uh, end up getting sick with, with COVID. I, I mean, I hope not, but it's, you know, it's likely it's going to happen. But can we still find that unity in the midst of all of that, all of that tension, all those different opinions? I think this is, in my opinion, kind of what the church is about is being able to take different you know, perspectives theologically, different perspectives on how to respond in this world, and yet still be able to come together and worship as each of us individually focuses on Jesus and does what he's calling us to and draws us into that intimate relationship with him and with each other. Okay, so that's your mini-sermon for this morning. Prepare for the next more extended uh, sermon next. Let's stand and let's pray, and then I'll dismiss the kids and we'll move on with our service. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you that you are, a, a, you are a God who unites your people. Lord, we are a family all in your name. It is your name that we hold on to. Uh, but Lord, just because we all are a family doesn't mean we don't have different perspectives. We don't have different views. We don't have different convictions. So Lord, the challenge in our day is how do we live together in unity despite those different convictions and perspectives and beliefs? Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that and do it well, that we would continue to respect one another, that we would continue to hold our own personal views with humility, recognizing that we don't have the corner market on truth. May you also continue to bind us together as a body of believers. That, Lord, the beautiful thing about unity is that true unity only really comes in diversity. It's when we choose to continue to be in relationship with each other despite our differences. That is beautiful God, biblical unity. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to make us a church that has that kind of unity. And that, Lord, we would proclaim that kind of unity not only to each other, but also to our world. That our community would be able to recognize that we are able to come together and still love one another, even though we have differences of opinions. That you would be glorified as a result. 
that all the focus goes on you. As Ephesians 4 says, when we focus our life and our eyes and our minds on you, you bind us together because there is only one Christ. There's only one baptism. There's only one Lord. So Lord, accept our praise this morning. May you be glorified in this place and may we be blessed with unity together as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so middle school, you are dismissed down to the youth room. Uh, first, three, first through fifth grade, you are dismissed out to the front door area, and Nancy and uh, folks will take you to your class. The rest of us, you're stuck in here, and so we're going to sing some more. Laura. <laughs> All right. As we continue on in worship this morning, I'm just going to reread the verse uh, that we read this morning, just quickly, um, as we prepare our hearts to worship this morning. Therefore, I, a prisoner for the serving of the Lord, <laughs> we'll get you a new stand next, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Amen. You choose the humble and raise them high. You choose the weak and make them strong. You heal our brokenness inside and give us life. The same love that set the captives free. The same
Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your peace in this place. Lord, I thank you for our freedom to worship. Lord, I thank you for the options we have in doing that, whether they're in the worship center, whether they're in another small group area of the fellowship hall or down in the coffee shop or whether they're out on the patio or whether they're watching from home we can be connected as one body and Lord as I think of one I know in your word that we are created equal whether prince or pauper we have the same God-given rights as we do in our nation. And Lord, I pray a special anointing on Pastor today as he talks about our equality. And Lord, in that equality, let us think about how we can love our neighbor in this pandemic time how we can pray for others, how we can serve others. Lord, we give you the honor and the glory for the good in our lives. Amen. One concluding thought on the mini sermon. Um, uh, it is, uh, I have to say, just a, a great privilege uh, to be surrounded such a great group of men uh, and our elder board. To, it, it's a rare thing to be able to have differences of opinions like we do but to be able to share those with respect and love for one another, and then to make a decision like we have that actually goes against some of our elders' personal convictions, and yet they still support the decision is amazing. So um, if you get a chance to just be praying for sure for these guys, uh, but also just to share encouragement 
uh, to them. Uh, Aaron and Derek, Tim, Glenn, who am I missing? Rick, Kamarik, and of course Bob and myself. Um, just be praying for these guys. It's been a rough year. It's hard to make these decisions and to have these differences of opinion and work through that. And so, um, anyway, just uh, it's uh, I am so blessed to have them as uh, part of my team to just have these conversations and be able to come to the conclusions that we have. So anyway, so thank you to all those men. Uh, all right, good citizens. We are uh, up to message three on uh, this short little mini-series, four-part series on good citizens. And, and the idea behind this uh, series, again, is just to remind you just to, that, that we uh, are in a time in our country where there's a lot of division and a lot of uh, upheaval. And how do we, what does it mean to be an American, right? What does it mean to uh, stand on these principles of what it means to be American. What does the Constitution say? And uh, because of all of that division, that leads to uh, a lack of sometimes understanding of what is this really all about and, and what is right and what is wrong and how do we, how do we journey through this uh, as good citizens. Uh, but also the reality that our citizenship in heaven as Christians is primary. That, that we have to first and foremost recognize that that citizenship trumps all other citizenships that we have. However, as Christian Americans, we have been blessed to be in a country where the principles of a good heavenly citizenship matches in large part a good American citizenship. And so we can see the the. the the coincidence of those two citizenships, and it works fairly well. Again, it's not perfect, but it works fairly well. But the, uh, the concern is, but the recognition as well in that is that America was founded on biblical principles. And because it was founded on biblical principles is why a Christian citizen can also be a good American citizen, right? A heavenly citizen and Christian and American citizen. And so, uh, so we are seeking in this series to get back to what are those biblical principles that our country have been founded on, and then, um, then seek to basically how do we live that out today. And so we've already looked at the fact that America is a covenant not a contract. Uh, the first Sunday was about this idea that, you know, we have made promises to one another, that we haven't been forced into this relationship in America, that we freely chose to be a part of this culture and this uh, country. And when we did that, we made promises to others. And in a covenant, unlike a contract, the promises that you make are not dependent on the promises of other people have made to you. And so we have a responsibility to live up to our promises, no matter if other American citizens follow up to their promises. Second, last week, we looked at freedom, another foundational principle of, uh, biblical principle of America. What is freedom? And we worked through that big topic and trying to understand the difference between what I described as theistic freedom and humanistic freedom freedom. 
and how the rise of humanistic freedom in the last 50 years has been exposed or most, most easily seen in the sexual revolution. And so comparing that kind of freedom that says, I can do whatever I want with no limits versus a theistic perspective of freedom that says, I can do whatever I want, but I also am choosing to, pro- to limit that freedom, that I'm not going to do everything that I want because I believe other people have just as much freedom as I do. And so I'm going to not trump that freedom. I'm not going to step on their freedom. I'm going to limit my freedom in order to honor their freedom as well. And that brings us to the third message today, which is on equality. Again, a a difficult topic, and I've done a lot of wrestling with this to try to understand even what these words mean, and and I don't know that I've, again, got a corner corner on the market of truth in regards to this, so you are free to disagree with me on some of the things that I say today for sure, but I just want to at least open up the, the, the conversation of what does this mean, and what are the biblical principles of equality? We certainly, as a nation, think that there is this concept of equality. It's in, again, our Declaration of Independence that all men have been created equal, right? And so what does that mean? And again, it's based in Scripture, and so we want to look at what Scripture teaches and then also see how that's played out in American culture and then kind of do this uh, kind of wrestling match with fairness and whether, where that fits. Uh, and so that is uh, kind of where we're going. How are we equal And how do we maintain that equality? Uh, It might be kind of funny even to think, you know, how how are we equal, right? I mean, you look around the room and you see the diversity, right? Just in the way we look, right? But as I even talked about in the mini-sermon at the beginning, right? There's diversity of thought and perspective, diversity of theological perspectives. And so if we have all this diversity, we have all these differences How do we, if you define equal as the same, how do we find, where's that line of equality? What do we mean by that? And so let's go ahead and jump into Scripture and what it teaches us. I uh, believe that at the very least, biblical perspective on equality includes three things. The first aspect is that we are all created equal. We've all been created by our Creator equally. So all of us have been created. Not, you know, there's not some that have been created by God and then some that haven't, right? We, we've all been created by God, and with that comes the concept of equal value. Everyone is equally valuable. We have all been created in His image. And even in Genesis chapter 127, we see diversity expressed. All have been created in God's image, male and female created in God's image. So there is diversity of even gender, but there's also all kinds of other diversity, obviously, of the way we look, physical attributes, but also of who we are, character, perspective, all of these different things, strengths, weaknesses, all of that diversity, but we are all created equal, equally, with equal value, and I would say with equal purpose as well, to be in relationship with our Creator. That's our foundational purpose. That's why God created us, was that we would be in intimate relationship with Him. John 17, 3, what is salvation? It's to know God and the one whom He sent. That's our purpose. That's relationship. That's, that's uh, uh, 
we all have that purpose. So equal value, equal purpose. Second key area that we see the Bible communicate about equality is an equal choice, or if you will, equal amount of freedom or of free will. Each of us are moral beings. Each of us have the equal amount of freedom to choose how we are going to live. And because of that, we are equally responsible. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So even though we all have freedom, we've all chosen to reject God, to rebel against His will. And so all of us have fallen. All of us have not, uh, not uh, met the glory of God that we were meant for. So we're equally responsible, and we have an equal consequence, which of course is death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, right? It's to die. And so because of our equal choice, we are morally free and thus equally responsible and equally and have an equal consequence for our rebellion. The final big category, if you will, of equality is that of equal judgment. We all will be judged by the same standard. And of course, that standard is whether or not you know Jesus. So it's equal salvation is offered. All can be saved. All can accept Jesus. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His Son that all who believe in Him should not perish but have eternal life, right? It's open for everyone. It's an equal adoption as well that we all can become sons, if you will, of God, right? All are heirs, Romans 8.15-17. to 17. So these are the three, I think, big category kind of equality verses and perspectives we find in Scripture. Equally created by God with equal value and purpose. Equally uh, given freedom with, the responsi- with equal responsibility and consequence. And equal judgment, same level of, or same uh, rule that we are going to have to abide by. And, the, uh, and equal salvation and adoption as sons. There's not some that are adopted into God's family that you know, have you know, higher ranking than others, right? We're all equal in that adoption as well. All right, so those are the biblical foundations, I think, of equality. Maybe you could add some more to that, but those are where we're going to be right now. Uh, America, as a nation, has kind of mirrored those three big categories uh, where equality lies. First of all, equal in value. Again, all men are created equal. This is in you know, our uh, Declaration of Independence, right? The idea that we have all been created by God with value. We're all valuable. We're all endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. And that is our second aspect of equality is that we all have rights. We all have freedoms. We all can make free choices. This is, again, the perspective that we get from our founding documents as Americans. And then finally, equal justice as well, that we all are equal under the law, right? And we have this saying that, that, that justice is blind in America, right? The idea is that, that you know, everyone is on an equal playing field. It doesn't matter who you are, uh, you're going to get the same justice under the law, right? 
And so this is what we're striving for. Now, whether or not we live up to these perspectives of equality is certainly in question, and we'll kind of wrestle with that a little bit the rest of the message here. But these are what it was founded on. This is what American, America means in its founding documents by equality, that we're equal in value, that we're equal in rights, and that we're equal in justice or in, uh, to the law, in, in submission to the law. So what is the limits, though, of equality? So that's, you know, that's not a lot of life, right? There's a lot of things that are left out of that equality equation that we've just looked through biblically and in regards to American foundations. And so what is the limits then of equality? First of all, there is not an equal experience. We are not equal in the experiences that we will have in life and in three key areas. First, there will be a diversity of abilities, be a diversity of blessings, if you will. Some of us are going to be born athletic, some born creative, some born intellectual. Others are going to be born autistic or diabetic or dyslexic. Some of us, we're going to be born differently, and the abilities and the blessings that we have when we're born are going to be different than other people. There is no equality of abilities or blessings. Scripture even teaches us this reality, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talking about the church, how we're all gifted differently, and we need everyone to use those gifts for the best, for the healthy church to survive, right? We all need to have these different things that God has given us. Some of us, you know, are, you know, theologians. Some of us are, you know, really good at, you know, children's ministry. You know, I, I don't want to do children's ministry. I love kids, but I don't want to do children's ministry because I struggle with that, right? You know, kids, they scare me. So anyway, I, but... Uh, you guys actually scare me too, but I get up here anyway. I don't know. But uh, so we all have different abilities and we need to use those. And 1 Corinthians 12 lays that out. It says, hey, we're not all going to be the same. We're going to be different. But again, even though we're different, we're all valuable, right? Because we are all created by God. So in the biblical perspective of equality, there is no guarantee of what one has or doesn't have. No guarantee. You just don't know what you're going to get when you're born. This is the excitement about having kids, right? You just don't know, oh, look, uh, I remember when Olivia was born. I was like, oh, what is it? You know, and then Junior was born. I was like, oh, that, ew, it's so little. Ew. Anyway, I mean, you got kids, right? You just don't know, right? My middle daughter, Rose, she was beautiful when she was born. I was like, oh. I love all of my kids. Sean, I love you, my son. Olivia, I love you. You're amazing. So beautiful now. It's, anyway. <laughs> so well, there's no guarantee of what one is going to have or what one doesn't have. Second aspect of uh, kind of the limits of equality is that there's going to be a diversity of opportunity and circumstances. Some are going to be born in America. Some are going to be born in Cambodia. Some are going to be born rich. Some are going to be born poor. Some are going to be born into a functional, healthy family, and others are going to be born into a dysfunctional family. I feel like I need to read this passage just because it's one that 
It's really challenging. <laughs> it just disrupts our perspective of God sometimes, and it's, it's a tough one to swallow, but I think it's important in regards to this. Uh, so it's Romans 9, verse 21. And this is a, a part of a longer argument, but I'll just read this verse and you'll get the gist. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? There is no guarantee of what one will be given the opportunity to do or what one will not have the opportunity to do. No guarantee. That's not equality. It doesn't have to be equality because they're still equally valuable. They're still equally free. They're still equally judged, you know, just experience equal justice. And then finally, the limit of equality that I'll highlight here is the fact that there is a, a diverse amount of success and failure. Some, some people are just going to have good timing. It's just going to work. Others, bad timing. Some people opened up a, a business maybe a couple of years ago and they had great success with the economy boomed. Others tried to open up a business in March. Some are going to have a good reputation. Others are bad. Some are going to make good choices. Others are going to make bad. There is no guarantee of outcomes. Equality does not include success. We're not all going to be equally successful. But again, they're still valuable. Matter of fact, all of us here would, if you failed at any time in your life, Hopefully, at some point, you'll be able to say, hey, you know, that actually, that failure was pretty valuable. Not that it necessarily led to success, but you learned from that failure. So there's great value in our diversity. See, there's value in all experiences that we have in this world. See, we're, we're, there's value in, in, in being poor. There's value in being rich. There's value in being sick. And there's value in being healthy. There's value in a dysfunctional family. There's value in a healthy family. It doesn't matter what your experience is. All of those experiences are valuable because you are valuable. See, God doesn't come to equal, you know, Jesus, when he showed up, there's all of these classes, right? The Roman class and the religious class, right? There was all these systems of classes. Jesus does not show up and seek to equalize the classes' lives so that they're all living at the same level. No, he comes to equalize their value saying that it doesn't matter if you're upper class or lower class or middle class or wherever you may be, you are valuable equally with everyone else. Equality allows for diversity within the classes, but an equality of value. A diversity of life events, but again equal in value. 
So often we look so down on bad stuff, suffering, struggle, trial, failure, bad experiences, weaknesses. You know, we look down on poor, not necessarily poor people, but sometimes we do that as well, but just being poor, we look, that's a bad thing, and we think we've got to fix it. We, you know, it's not fair, it's not right that they're poor, and so we need to figure that out, we need to fix it, because that has no value, and it's so wrong. There's value in all of it. In every life, there's value, even when it's hard for us to see what is valuable in it. And the truth is, is that we actually need this diversity of experience. We need this diversity of opportunity. We need the diversity of success versus failure. Because with that diversity, it actually makes us stronger as a community. As those who experience great success can bless those who are experiencing failure with their abundance. This is how the community is meant to interact and work with one another, to be able to help to cover each other's weaknesses. Even consider the husband and wife relationship. They're meant to be different because their difference helps to make them more whole. The man's strength to be able to protect the wife, the woman, the woman's strength of being able to care for a child in order to protect the man and be able to maintain those relationships with his kids that he just sold out on TV on the, online, right? <laughs> I love you kids. I love you. I love you. Each person's strength is used for the benefit of everyone else. I, I remember when I was in Mexico uh, in high school, I, one particular story, and I think I've told it before, but we were in this village where literally cardboard houses, what they were living in, right? Tiny little things, dirt, poor, 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 super poor. And they told us not to bring any money to this, you know, village. And so I didn't bring any money because I was, you know, a good boy. I do what I'm told. And I show up, and this little girl, she's probably maybe seven or eight years old, and she's made these friendship bracelets, and she's trying to sell them to me. And I keep telling her, I don't have any dinero, no dinero, no dinero, right? And so Eventually, after she's bugged me like a half a dozen times, she bugs me one more time, and I turn around, I'm like, I'm just exasperated. What do I do, right? How do I communicate to her? I can't purchase that friendship bracelet from her. And then she just gives it to me. You know, we want to fix that. We want to pull that that young girl out of that poor and say that that's so horrible. It's the situation that she's living in. It's just terrible, and it's, there's no good in it, and it's just, there's no value in it. We look at it, and we go, this is horrible, horrible, horrible. We need to fix this. And I'm not saying that it's not a good thing to try to you know, help them out of that, make sure they have food and shelter and all those kind of things, but are we missing the reality that there's value in that? This girl taught me something about faith and generosity that I never would have learned anywhere else, especially in a wealthy America like we live in today. So there's value in all of life, in all of our experiences, and we need the diversity of experience so that we can learn, so that we can develop, so that we can be better. Now in America, we've seen a, a, a recent rise of a term called, a, a term, the term equity. Now equity is different than equality. And in a moment, I'll put up a little slide here, but uh, equity is different than equality. Equity is meant to be, is, uh, the idea behind it, at least what we're told, is that it's meant to bring fairness. 
They would say equality is about sameness, equity is about fairness. So there's this illustration, you probably have seen it before if you're aware of equity, uh, put it on the board if you could, with a fence. And the first uh, image, of course, is equality. Everyone has the same size box in order to look over the fence and watch the game. However, even though that is what they would say equality is, it seems unfair, doesn't it? That poor little guy can't see the game. This horrible. But that other big guy, look at him. He's way over the fence. And so then we move to equity, which of course is the idea of making it fair. So we're going to give the little guy a couple of boxes so that he can see. And the big guy, he doesn't need a box, so he can just be there and he can watch. Now everybody is experiencing equity. Okay, you can take that down. The, the idea of equity is that the right thing is to make everything that we can fair. To ensure that the lesser person has equal access. It's not fair that one has more ability than another. It's not fair that one has more opportunity than another. It's not fair that one enjoys more success than another. I mean, it's not their fault that they were born into a poor family, and so we should give them money and give them extra scholarships in order to get them into uh, schools so they can get out of that poverty. It's not fair. It's not their fault that some were born in a city with really bad schools, and so we need to lower the bar of you know, what it takes for education and graduation. It's not fair that some are born in a neighborhood with a lot of crime and so we need to lower the law enforcement bar. It's not fair that some don't have health insurance, and so we need to provide free health insurance. The idea here is that they are working to advantage the disadvantaged, trying to, again, level the playing field, recognizing that some have been great, given greater opportunities and ability and success, and yet all people should be able to enjoy some of that. And it comes, uh, and so as a result, they, they strive to adjust our governmental system, the, the, the institutions that we have in America. So, so things like justice are getting changed in order to, to you know, make it more fair, as they would say. It's a, an effort to change education and employment and even our taxes and how the taxes are paid in order, again, to make it more fair, in order to bring equity to the American system. And let me say as well that this is coming out of a compassionate heart for the poor, the disenfranchised, the disadvantaged. It's a true desire to help the less fortunate, truly a biblical desire as well, to love those whose lives are difficult. But unfortunately, their compassionate hearts are enforcing an equity on America that actually violates who we are as America. The problems are several, and I'll just kind of quickly list those and then we'll move on. But um, the problems with enforcing equity, in other words, demanding that there is equity in America, is that it tends, first of all, to discourage striving for success. When, uh, when success is given, not earned, 
In other words, when you, you, know, you give someone uh, you know, kind of extra uh, stuff in order to help them to be successful, make them successful, when it's given, not earned, it becomes an entitlement. And so people tend to begin to think, well, you know, I can't do it on my own, so that means you have to do it for me because I'm entitled to this. Or on the other side, uh, if it's taken, not secured, in other words, if you are successful, you do have opportunity, but those opportunities are taken from you, then it actually punishes success and causes the person to not strive to be as successful. There's like, kind of, what's the point? It's a, so we diminish the potential of our community by taking away the successes of those who have achieved it. It's also, uh, enforcing equity also tends to ignore personal responsibility. It encourages the, uh, the victim mentality. You know, it's not their fault that they are this way because they were just born into this situation. So thus, it must be somebody else's fault. And if it's somebody else's fault, then again, takes away that personal responsibility. So the things that, you know, my choices no longer are that big a deal, you know, you, you need to overlook at those, those choices because of my situation. It also tends to equate happiness with wealth. If we were not a wealthy nation, we would not be talking about equity. We would all be just trying to survive. But because we're a wealthy nation, we have now defined happiness as wealth. And so if you're poor, you can't be happy. If, if you don't get a college education, you can't be happy. If you don't have a very healthy and loving home, then you can't be healthy. Can't be happy, not wealthy, but happy, healthy, whatever. So Americans, uh, ultimately we become jealous, right? We're looking around at other people. And they've got more than we do. And that's not fair. How come they got it? Just because they got that promotion, just because they kind of maybe cheat and steal a little bit and they did some things that I didn't, so now they get, you know, that's not fair, right? So we get this, you know, kind of perspective in America of jealousy. Also, uh, another problem is that it seeks to eliminate natural unfairness and, and replace it with arbitrary unfairness. This is kind of the self-defeating aspect of it. So in other words, instead of just having the natural unfairness of the fact that some of us are going to be born poor, others are going to be born wealthy, some are going to be born with amazing abilities and talents, others are going to you know, struggle, they're not going to have those same talents and abilities. You know, instead, that's just a natural kind of the way God has created things in inequality, right? Inequity, if you will. It's unfairness, you would say. But we're going to replace that natural unfairness. We're trying to fix it. But now we can't fix it all, so that means it becomes arbitrary fairness, because we pick certain things that, oh, these certain people, they need to be, we need to help them out, but we ignore other people, not to mention the fact that is it fair to be taking from others who haven't freely given it? And again, inevitably, this perspective of demanding that we be in, uh, that we have equity in our nation is inevitably leads to violating our covenant. Because we have to limit the pursuit of happiness of some in order to make it fair for those who can't reach that same, again, happiness is wealth, that same level. Basically, gaming the system to favor those without. So in order to do equity, because equity is not totally wrong. 
Again, this is a biblical concept that we would be concerned about the poor, that we would be concerned about those who are disenfranchised or disadvantaged, that we would look and be aware of that and we'd help them out. I mean, uh, and James talks about you know, the, uh, the religion that is pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress, right? The idea that we're looking, you know, the people in our, our, in our community that are struggling, they've lost opportunities. They don't have the thing, same gifts and abilities that we have, that are, are, are struggling because life has failed them, right? They've failed in life, right? And so we're supposed to do that, but how do we do that without enforcing it on everyone and making it a, a demand of our entire nation? We have to, first of all, ask three key questions in order to know how to respond when we see inequity, inequity, not iniquity, that's different. That'd be judgment right there. But inequity, (laughs) inequity is a little different. So why does the, first question, why does the inequity exist? Is it natural or is it a choice? In other words, their bad choices have led led to the inequity or is it being forced on them? Is the system holding them back, holding them down, and not allowing them to have the same opportunities? So where, why does the inequity exist is the first question we have to ask. We can't just jump in and say, well, there's an inequity, we've got to fix it. No, why is it there? Second question, can, the, can, can equity be achieved without violating covenant? It's not about protecting people from the consequences of their choices. And so often this is what it's led to. People make bad choices and so they find themselves in a bad spot and we go, oh, well, they're in a bad spot so we need to fix that for them. No, 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 they made these bad choices. They need to suffer the consequences to some extent for that, right? And it's also not limiting the covenant freedoms that we would all be able to continue to live out those freedoms and keeping perspective of other people are free as well and allow them to live out their freedoms. And then the final question, what's the best way then to bring equity? Is it a handout or a hand up? Do we want to develop dependence or independence? Is the best way redistribution or incentivizing free giving? Is, it, is the best way something that should be done on a national level, a local level, or a personal level? All right, as I land the plane, as I say, worship team, why don't you come up, prepare closing songs here. And so with these questions in mind and this perspective that equity is not necessarily a bad thing, but to recognize how we do that is important. But to understand, first and foremost, as a Christian church, as a church, we have a responsibility to be a benevolent community. See, equity is actually something that Christians should be the best at. Because this is what we're called to. Matter of fact, the system of America is not set up to be equitable. It's set up to be equal in value, equal in freedom, equal under the law, but it's not set up to be equitable. But the church, however, has clear commandments, clear direction from God in His Word that we are to be looking for the inequities in our world and seeking to resolve them when we can. You see, God allows for inequity 
Because all of life is valuable. All of experiences are valuable. All of the weaknesses and the strengths, all the successes and the failures, they're all valuable. But not in, and not all inequities should be eliminated. Consequences should be faced when choices are made that are poor. But I, I think of the Cambodia, Cambodian sweatshops. I went to Cambodia about seven years ago on a short-term mission trip. And I remember one of the things that the, the, uh, the missionary told us, we were walking through a street and we looked into this little tiny home that, you know, I mean, it was just amazing how small it was, but I mean, smaller in this room by a long ways, but it had like about 30 women in there all sewing shirts and stuff. And uh, the missionary said, you know, a lot of Americans are, you know, uh, complaining about the sweatshots in Cambodia and they're trying to, you know, go after Walmart or some of these different, you know, companies and saying these are just horrible things and horrible conditions that they're doing and this is, we've got to stop this practice. But the missionary said, you know, actually, it's, they've got it all wrong. That's, the culture here is totally different. He says none of, those, none of those women in that house right there are, are feeling like they're oppressed in some way. They're making some good money, but they're not making too much money. Because actually, if they made too much money, it would actually be bad for the system. That the economy of, the, of Cambodia would begin to falter and crash a bit because they enforced too much money into the system. And so actually, he says, you know, the sweatshops, they're not really what they think and what Americans think it is. It's actually a really good thing. And they need to stop trying to squelch this. Again, us Americans taking our, our, our sense of happiness about wealth you know, to Cambodia and saying, hey, you've got to do these X, Y, and Z in order to be, you know, experience this happiness and this goodness, right? Otherwise, you know, if it's, uh, it's an inequity and we need to fix it. Not all inequities need to be fixed, actually. God encourages instead us to be benevolent. That what we have is not ours. In America, we're so wealthy. You think about all the things that we have, all the things that we do, our big homes, our nice cars, extravagant vacations. I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but God calls us to be benevolent. And He wants to remind us that it's not ours. It's God's. And we are to give generously out of the abundance that we have received. It's always amazing to me that it seems like most of the time the most generous people, just like Jesus pointed out, are the poorest. The widow's might. She gave it all. You see, giving is inspired by the Spirit. It's not demanded by leaders. I think if we want to do equity well, we need to do it personally, locally, in our community. I actually think that the church has relegated its responsibility to care for the poor and the disenfranchised in their community to the state. And the state, of course, has destroyed it. The only way we can really care for what people need is to know them, not just to funnel them through a system. We need to know them. 
who they are, what is their life, what's their experience, what's going on. When we know that, then we can give them what they actually need instead of just fixing what we think needs to be need. <sighs> this sermon series bugs me because I have too much to say. Um, all right, I'm going to leave what I got left. But that's right. <sighs> Let's stand and uh, we'll sing a song and then I'll come back and close with a passage. One heart, one spirit, one voice to praise you. We are the body of Christ. One perspectives and our Christian promises to you. Thank you that you've given us a country that has been founded on biblical principles. But Lord, it continues to be under attack, those biblical foundations. We just ask that you'd help us to, as Christians, to support those biblical foundations, to continue to understand what they mean and how to live that out. We continue to love 
those around us, both you and our neighbors. Lord, that we would continue to be faithful to the promise that we made to you and to this nation. That we would continue to seek to live freely, but also allow others to do so as well. And the Lord, that we would understand and begin to appreciate more fully that we all are valuable. That it doesn't matter what our experience is, doesn't matter what our giftings are or are not. It doesn't matter if we are the most successful person or the, the one who's failed the most. It's all valuable. You've created us. You will use it all for your glory. But Lord, also help us to be a church that's generous. God, give us eyes to see the inequities around us. Lord, give us the proper perspective of your abundant blessings that you've given us. That we'd be willing to give sacrificially to care for those around us who, need, who are needy. That we would be a church that's known not only for its love and acceptance, but also for its grace and generosity. Looking to care for those around us as best we can. Using the things that you've given us and passing them on to those around us. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thanks, church. Spirit of God.